Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. Hi, I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Mr. Mark Wernicke. He's a research scientist and former clinician with Photo. He's based currently in the great state of Hawaii. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. The title is Tele-Rehab During the COVID-19 Pandemic in Outpatient Rehabilitation Settings. This was a retrospective study, and it aimed to describe tele-rehab frequency, both by levels of condition and by telecommunication modes for a very large sample of over 222,000 episodes of care. They also described baseline patient characteristics, patient satisfaction for those episodes of care administered during COVID, either using tele-rehab or not. And they used data from the photo national patient database system and the data are routinely collected in outpatient rehab therapy clinics in the United States. So Mark, I was really interested to read your paper when it came in because it really addressed some important questions I thought that we have been talking about that we didn't have very much data on. And so I thought it was extremely timely. So let me start by asking you about your, your one of your primary findings. You looked at over 222,000 episodes of care. And among those episodes, 6% incorporated some level of tele-rehab. And you found that there was a higher percentage during the second quarter of 2020, 10% was the prevalence, as compared to the third quarter when it dropped to 5%. Now, I don't know about you, so the question, it struck me as surprisingly low and I'm curious if that was what you expected or if you were surprised as well. Uh, well, I was very surprised by the low adoption of TR use by the therapists in our sample, especially in light of the explosion of interest reported in the telehealth literature as the result of COVID-19. But according to our study results, TR use by frontline clinicians working in everyday clinical practice throughout the US uh, was not widely implemented. Yeah. And prior to, us, to our study, I, I'm not aware of previous peer review articles examining TR implementation rates during the pandemic in outpatient rehab clinics in the US. But with that said, however, of, of, of I found this very interesting. There are two comparative findings, and these were reported recently um, online in the APTA weeklies. Now, one finding contrasts with our results and the other is consistent with our observations. So the, the first finding, the APTA was monitoring the effects of the pandemic on our profession through a member surveys, I think PTs, PTAs. And, and this survey was conducted uh, about a month or two ago between March and April, 2021. And they reported 48% of APTA members uh, were using video consults using digital uh, technologies. So that, that's really a large contrast to uh, the percentage that we found. But in the second APTA weekly, I think this was just one or two weeks ago, 
one of the physical therapy DPT educators they were interviewing, it struck me is that what the uh, educator said is what he's finding is that their students are com completing their clinical affils or their clinical experiences is that few clinics are actually engaging in telehealth, which kind of supports what we observed. So my thought here is, although there has been an explosion of interest in TR uh, literature as a result of COVID, there has not been an explosion of use of TR in everyday PT practice. And um, from your question, I, I think we could separate these percentages. I think there are two important takeaways for the TR rates. Over, the overall rate is 6%, and then that 50% reduction. And I think although reasons I could speculate as to why this occurred, I think they're overlapping, but they also may bring out different reasons partially explaining either the overall versus the reduction TR rates we observed. Well, you know, the, as with so much research, at least in my view, the devil is so much in the details. Yeah. So with the APTA survey, immediately my antennae go up in terms of selection bias because you have to be concerned about how representative the sample base is for making these kinds of estimates. And that's one of the things that um, impressed me about your study because you used the photo database that covered the entire um, breadth of the United States and it didn't focus just on members of APTA. Yes. Can you say a little bit to our listeners about what you know as to the uh, representativeness of the photo database to the population of clinics in the U.S. Because yeah. fundamentally, that's the key here, right? Yeah, you know, that's really a great question. Um, our descriptive data I have to, may not be generalizable to the overall uh, outpatient rehabilitation population in the United States. We also analyze data, again, only uh, from clinicians using photo to collect outcomes with no comparison to clinicians using TR who didn't collect outcomes or who did not use photo to, for outcome documentation. So we cannot rule out a select, potential selection bias that, that, with that said. But although the generalizability wasn't the purpose of our study, testing for generalizability of the national database uh, that we analyzed in our study merits attention. And then on the flip side of that, with that said, our sample size as you alluded to in the beginning of the podcast, was very large. We captured a large number of episodes of care, a large number of clinicians, a large number of clinics, uh, which uh, was very, again, representing perhaps robust and diverse patient characteristics in a wide range of medical comorbidities. So I, I would just speculate, and my hypothesis until confirmed is that I think due to the size of our population, perhaps generalizability could be somewhat inferred, but I wouldn't want to make that statement. <laughs> well, that's fair. And I think you were very fair in your article about it. You clearly pointed it out and yes. that in no way diminishes the importance because uh, as you say, it's a very large sample and we learned a lot from it. Let's talk a little bit about that sample because one of the things that I've always found interesting as a researcher is you sampled episodes of care, 222,000. Now, did you have multiple patients that were sampled in those episodes of care? And if so, 
how did you handle those in your estimates? Okay, uh, you know, that's a really insightful question, but actually it was 222,680 uh, 222, unique episodes of care, not unique patients. Right. And we analyzed each episode separately. Therefore, we refer in the text to episodes of care as patients. Now, uh, we didn't address this in the paper, but typically 97% of episodes of care within the photo database come from unique patients. So the possibility of having the same patients with more than one episode, yeah, it's possible, but it's really minimal, it's 3%. And you didn't you didn't eliminate them, so you have no, some no, but, linearity but, there. But with that said, Dr. Allen, even for the low instances where there is one patient with more than one episode, really it makes sense to analyze those episodes separately, because the patient can change between episodes or over time, presenting with different patient characteristics. Um, for example, the patient could be older now; the acuity uh, may be different for the different conditions that they're being treated now. Uh, perhaps there may be additional comorbidities as the patients change over time. So I think it's important, even though it may be uh, the same patient, that each episode needs to be analyzed because it may be presenting with unique patient characteristics. I think that's fair. As long as you're clear in pointing that out, uh, I, you know, it comes up a lot in total joint research uh -huh. where people will frequently uh, sample joint replacements and don't always make it clear as to whether or not they're unique patients or can you have multiple joints on the same patient? As long as you're clear, I think you're okay. Yeah, I, that was a great, again, a great question in our follow-up paper, which we are doing now on outcomes. Hopefully you'd be submitted sometime this month. Uh, we're definitely gonna make that, that point clear. Good. Let's talk about the next really, I found interesting finding. I, I think the paper is full of fascinating findings. You had uh, over 13,000 clinicians working in over 3,000 clinics. So it's a very diverse and broad sample. And now you reported 30%, 37% of clinicians and 69% of cl clinics implemented and uh, administered care using some form of telerehab. So we now know that at least within the photo uh, population, a majority of clinicians working an outpatient during the, the, the period of the pandemic that you sampled didn't use telerehab at all. What's going on, Mark? Uh, well, I, I think there are many challenges and actions required facing clinicians working in outpatient clinics from employing any form of TR during the pandemic. And some of these major implementation hurdles really have been published and identified in recent literature. And uh, it, reviewing the previous uh, physical therapy podcast with Dr. Lee, uh, many of those challenges were highlighted. But I, I can go over uh, some of those that, that I think are, are pretty important, important, and that's payment and policies governing TR, they need to be addressed and probably frequently updated. So the clinician needs to be aware of their state and practice regulations yeah. uh, in which they are licensed as it relates to digital care. But uh, beyond knowing regulations, clinicians need to identify which patients are appropriate yeah. uh, for TR care and consider cultural or socioeconomic type factors. You know, 
what types of interventions are most appropriate for TR care, especially in the light of that we have a loss of direct physical therapy contact, you know, through touch or manual techniques. So that may impose some challenges. Overall, there may be a lack of technology training, uh, at least following HIPAA compliant training for clinicians and also a lack of technology for patients. So there, there could be a lack of digital devices, um, broadband internet access uh, issues, uh, which may, by the way, of course, be more predominant as you would intuitively think in small town or rural areas versus large metropolitan areas. And we alluded to that. And actually in one of our findings uh, in table one, we observed that our descriptive results where patients living in large metropolitan areas were more likely to receive TR care compared yeah. to those patients living in small and rural towns. Yeah, and you also found that younger patients were more likely to get tele-rehab and yes. those in private practice were more likely. And mm -hmm. if memory serves me, those who were doing exercises multiple times per week yes. were more likely. And, and they also had lower medical comorbidities, including arthritis, blood pressure, obesity, et cetera. Those on Medicare B, 65 and older, were less likely, right? So the boomers were less likely to take advantage of tele-rehab. Yeah, which is kind of consistent with the younger patient. Yeah. So the younger patient's more active, unlikely to be on Medicare B, um, yeah. have fewer medical comorbidities, and have a lot of exposure and uh, experience with digital technologies. Which so is that kind of uh, makes sense. Yeah, but kind of unfortunate, right? Because in terms of uh, risk during the pandemic and uh, mobility issues, the 65 and older population could really have benefited from more tele-rehab. Absolutely. I, matter of fact, that just rings a bell in my mind. I think it was Tenford and fairly recently at all where they suggested that actually patients 65 and older were comfortable with video technology. So uh, we shouldn't close the door and say, you know, older adults are not capable of video technology, maybe just a little training, or if they have access to it, that we could educate them on using that. Because yeah. there's so much advantage for um, telehealth synchronous video technology, I think. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, because I think there are things that we could do as therapists. Definitely. People more comfortable. Um, let's talk about the kinds of conditions, as I expected. Tele-rehab was most frequently used for orthopedic conditions. And that's not surprising because I think if you look at the prevalence data, the kind of conditions treated in an outpatient, they tend to be more frequently orthopedic. Yeah. But then when you looked at the outcomes in terms of function for those episodes that used tele-rehab versus those that did not, in the non-orthopedic areas uh, of th uh, thoracic vertigo, stroke, edema, the outcomes were less uh, promising when the episode included tele-rehab, right? Yes. Why do you think? Well, first, I'm going to say that it doesn't suggest that we should focus TR on ortho versus neuro. Now, if I look at table two, and that's where you're looking at your physical function results. It's tempting to compare outcome results, uh, which we reported between TR and no TR, not only for the neurological, but orthopedic cases. However, the results are unadjusted outcomes. 
And we have to keep that. And we clearly stated as our first limitation that due to the uh, descriptive uh, nature of our design and lack of risk adjustment, interpretation of our physical function visits and satisfaction outcomes that we've reported between the two TR and OTR subgroups are limited. And certainly the focus of future research is required to study these associations uh, between TR use and outcomes while controlling for potential confounders of the outcomes assessed. And this is really a strong statement for observational design. Yeah. So this was not randomized controlled trial, but observational. And there's one other thought I had here in interpreting table two for patients receiving TR for neurological conditions is that the sample sizes were relatively small. So 638 neuro patients received TR compared to over 12,000 orthopedic cases receiving TR. So again, because of lack of risk adjustment, small neurological samples, uh, these results cannot be interpreted as TR is best reserved for orthopedic and not neurological. And uh, I also remember uh, in previous readings uh, when I was preparing for the paper is that there are cases in the literature where telehealth was successfully managed, used to manage stroke patients. So I think more is to come and future research is warranted examining larger samples of patients with neurological conditions. But I think TR has a place in neuro as well as orthopedic. Mark, when, when you see those findings on the, the prevalence of the conditions treated in the database, is that consistent with what you would expect in the population of outpatient or does it suggest there might be some selection bias in the kinds of clinics that participate in photo? Um, traditionally, and I'm going back decades, it was primarily an orthopedic patient population, photos collecting outcomes. However, over the past 10 years, there's been a fairly large increase in the interest in collecting outcomes on neuro patients. So yeah, there could be selection bias, but hopefully over time, we'll get a much larger sample of neuro yeah. uh, and be able to start you know, tweaking the neuro data so to yeah, speak, as it relates to. to digital care. Yeah. Now your satisfaction uh, by patients was a little bit lower, it's at 3% lower for those mm -hmm. who received tele-rehab versus yeah. those episodes that did not. Any, any thoughts about that finding? Yeah, uh, first I would suggest, yeah, it's plausible that patients were, lessly, uh, were less likely to be satis very satisfied with TR compared to your in-person office visit, which may partially explain the reduction of TR use over time, that 10% to that 5%. However, I think again, we need to be cautious about not over-interpreting our satisfaction outcome. Uh, the primary reason, again, for this caution is the lack of risk adjustment. So the probability of being treated, um, to, so it's the probability of being uh, treated uh, using TR. So, uh, for example, TR reduction may have nothing to do with patient satisfaction, but more to do with patients' restrictions to in-person office visits during COVID. Um, but I also think that the satisfaction difference observed between TR subgroups, it was really very small, 3%, yeah. like you said. So it may be a minor consideration explaining reduction in TR use. I, I could flip the coin here and say, well, another interpretation of our satisfaction data indicate that a large majority of patients were satisfied yeah. uh, and with care. So 88% were either uh, somewhat satisfied or very satisfied with in-person office visit versus 86% for TR care. Yeah. 
And also, if you look further down in table two, less than 1% were somewhat or very dissatisfied with TRK. So I, I think those results are encouraging. Um, it would be interesting in future work to look at what influenced the degree of satisfaction. There might be factors there that could be really informative to therapists. Yeah, just, just a preliminary follow-up on that thought is the satisfaction survey that we used have eight items. And the item that we selected was um, satisfaction with your treatment results. So we thought that would be the most informative satisfaction question to examine. It's because the other questions have to do with, well, are you satisfied with the location of your clinic? Are you satisfied with courtesy shown to you? Um, are you satisfied with your appointment times? Which really is not a direct, com it's yes. not comparable between the two. No, groups. it wouldn't be a fair comparison. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, lastly, you nicely point out in your article that one size does not fit all. And you've really emphasized that in our discussion today. Can you share with some of our listeners your thoughts about what therapists can do to make telerehab more accessible to patients that they're working with in outpatient, because it's not going to go away, right? The no toothpaste way. is out of the tube. Yeah, I like that description. So um, what, what's your advice, given what you've been learning in your research here, to therapists who are working in outpatient? Sure. I, this is a great question. Uh, to me, it helps to either start or continue the conversation, getting therapists to think outside the visit box. Um, and even before we start encouraging clinicians to use TR for their patients, we need to remember that TR care is not for everyone. So we need to discern who may benefit from TR care during the initial evaluation. So that will be important. Um, and just as a preview, one of our future research projects being planned by the photoscience team is to identify a priori subgroup of patients who will benefit from TR. So the idea here would be to develop like a TR clinical prediction rule or therapy your way model where we can allow the patient the option from the very beginning to select TR during that initial eval, which may have many advantages, uh, increasing patient buy-in or compliance, um, et cetera. But what can therapists do right now? And I have several thoughts to encourage patients. Hey, you, you can do TR. So the therapist when they're uh, discussing with the patient, perhaps during the initial evaluation, they could show or demonstrate uh, to the patient that TR works, perhaps using a simple poster with simple graphs detailing the evidence for effectiveness of TR care compared to in-person care. So they have to know that it works when they first come in. Therapist needs to be creative, I think. Uh, the therapist can tell the patient that TR offers the opportunity to see the patients exercising or perhaps uh, performing their usual physical activities in their home environment. Um, so an important intervention actually within the psychological informed um, practice is prescribing an exposure in vivo approach, which really was my go-to cognitive behavioral approach, where the patient is exposed to performing usual activities in their home or at work while controlling their pain. So improving a patient's movement strategies uh, in their own home environment to me is a very strong plus. 
because I, I would always have to simulate that during the office visit, which right. may or may not be as accurate as you would like. So it, it has an advantage that you need to discuss with their patients. And also if we continue, you know, perhaps asynchronous TR is what the patient is most uh, appropriate for. Well, asynchronous offers the patient a pathway um, for the therapist to follow up. Hey, I can follow up with you and check on your progress uh, and home program, not only during our treatment, but after the discharge, right? Because we know majority of patients stop following their home programs shortly after discharge. So scheduling follow-up reminders with the patient if they agree to that via, it could be text messaging, e-visits, or uh, getting them linked to other website platforms may improve long-term compliance with their home programs. And another advantage really the therapist needs to consider is the convenience of TR to the patient, um, meeting the patients where they are at. So convenience includes what? Decrease patient travel time and cost, uh, improve access for patients, right? Uh, maybe rural areas, but also, you know, we're trying to get the elderly connected. So they may have limited mobility issues getting to the office, or they may be experiencing confounding medical conditions, preventing them from getting to the office. So the focus on convenience and talking to the patient with that is a great thought. Uh, another thought is to engage uh, in TR care is that TR care, as you said, is here to stay. It's the new normal, toothpaste out, out, out of the tube. So patients are quite informed and, and should be, and as they become increasing, increasingly aware of benefits of telehealth, and if telehealth is as equally as effective as traditional in-person office visits, you know, patients are always going to select convenience. So therapists need to be prepared to offer what the patients want as far as convenience. And TR will be a necessity, I think, to thrive in today's and tomorrow's healthcare environment status post COVID era. And hopefully, hopefully we're coming to that. Yes, <laughs> uh, I certainly hope so. Well, and, Mr. Wernicke, uh, I really appreciate your taking the time. Oh, it's great, thank you. On a really interesting article, I would encourage our listeners to take a look at the, uh, the work um, it's extremely useful, and I congratulate you on it. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to spend it with me. Yes. Oh, thank you very much. And I, I just wanted to have a shout out that this, this, this paper was really a team effort from the photoscience team with Dr. Daniel Deutscher and Dr. Hayes and Dr. Tucker and David Grigsby, all contributing in valuable ways to making this happen. So thank you.